Father, we're thankful tonight that you are our vision. You are our strong tower, our whole armor, our might and our, our strength, our wisdom. You are the first in our hearts. And I ask, Father, that you would increasingly be so. And that this love for you and for your Son, our Lord Jesus, kindled by the Holy Spirit, who has borne witness to us of his anointing and his power and his authority, that we would love and honor you with all that we are every day, and that we would behold your, the glory of your Son and, be, and, and adhere to him. And we are thankful, Father, to be numbered among the fullness of the Gentiles and that we have come in and will enter into eternal life only because of the grace of Jesus. And I praise you, Father, for your word that you've given us. And I ask that it would be beneficial tonight to consider these verses and that we would be well instructed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for coming tonight. And I'll tell you right at the outset that um, I'm going to be away next Wednesday for uh, a little trip down to Ankeny for the Bible Faculty Summit, so we'll just not have this again next Wednesday. Um, and uh, we are uh, fast approaching the end of this study, Romans chapter 9 or 11 tonight. Where we're at, we're in Romans chapter 11. And we are getting into the, the most important part of what we have been looking at in these three chapters. This is, this is the hub. This is the center. And it really controls, it's the, it controls all that's going on in these chapters, although we read these, these verses in light of all that Paul's been arguing at the same time. So it's not like we're, there's a give and take. Um, but uh, this is the apex, the, the zenith, the height, the peak, the mountain peak of these three chapters, these verses. And so if it seems like we're slowing way down tonight, um, that's because these are important words. But um, we are very close uh, to being finished up. So let, I'll begin reading in verse 25. Actually, why don't I um, begin with verse 24, because those verses, verses 11 through 24 are really important as well. But I'll start, so I'll start in verse 24. For if you were cut off or cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
that's a good place to stop. So there are two basic, uh, the two basic ideas that we're going to cover tonight is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, last week we weren't able to have the study because I was in North Carolina, but if you can remember from two weeks ago, I, uh, we looked at the, um, the um, end of verses 17 through 24, then we, we parked on verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And I made the point how Paul wants us to know this. He wants us to understand what he is talking about in these verses. I do not want you to be unaware. If we're unaware of this, we are living contrary to the will of Christ because Paul is an apostle of Christ. So it's important that we understand these things. When people talk about eschatology today, and when I, okay, time out, what's eschatology? Anybody know? Lewis, you know what eschatology is? You just had it for supper. Just kidding. It's not a vitamin. Yes, Sebastian. It's the study of end times or last things. Okay? So when we, when we talk about the, the doctrine of eschatology, we're saying what does the Bible teach about the end of time? We don't want to be overly speculative about that. But it is helpful for us. We draw many important principles from the end, from end times. It gives us hope. It gives us confidence. It gives us urgency. We see that there's a judgment coming. We see the importance of that judgment. And, and so the study of end times is important. And Paul's telling us it's important in this verse. I don't want you to be unaware. And then he talks about end times. At least I'm going to make the case that he's talking about end times. In, this, in these verses. I am going to be digging in a little bit more tonight into some contrary views. Now, I haven't done a lot of this. I haven't said, okay, this is what other people say. But I'm going to do that a little bit tonight um, because we're really zeroing in on these verses. And there's still, as I said, some very important lessons to learn here. And Paul wants us to be knowledgeable concerning what what God is doing now and what God is going to do. We looked at a partial hardening has come upon Israel. All throughout this passage, all throughout these three chapters, Paul has repeatedly noted that God has hardened Israel. Not all of Israel. He hasn't hardened every Israelite, but he has hardened the vast majority of them during this age. And there are three, and he also calls it a mystery. I shouldn't neglect that. He calls it a mystery. I'm reviewing right now. He calls it a mystery. A mystery is something that has been unrevealed to this point. And there are three key aspects of the mystery. Three key aspects. Number one, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Number two, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Number three, And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Let's talk first about the fullness of the Gentiles. The hardening of the Jews that 
Paul is talking about here has a God-ordained end, which is really remarkable. Right? Like, who can, who can say what a person's going to do? Like, tomorrow or the day after that. Some of us like to think we know, and maybe we make guesses about other people, and we may even think about what we're going to do and really think we know, and then we get in the situation and we do something totally different. But God is able to say, there is a number of Gentiles, and they will come in. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's think about this. And I'm not going to go word by word, but we are going to talk about until. The word for until uh, is it's actually two words in the original. I'm not going to say the words because like, it's just Greek to you and really to me as well. Um, it's a little phrase, and he says that all of Israel or a partial hardening has come upon Israel, and he ties it, that partial hardening, to the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, until that happens. The phrase underlying until is almost always used in the New Testament temporally to signal what brings about the end of preceding circumstances. Okay, let's look at Luke 21. We find this phrase in Luke 21, which happens to be a really important cross-reference to that verse. Luke 21, verse 24. I'm going to give you another view in a moment here. We'll talk about that view in in a moment. But first we're going to look at how the Bible uses this phrase. All right, verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword. I'm in Luke 21, verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until. Until what? The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Another one would be uh, that you're very, very familiar. That's the same word, until. Another passage that would have the same word very, that you're very familiar with. Um, it would be 1 Corinthians 11.26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice that in both of the, these two verses that I've now read to you, you have preceding, you have circumstances that come, that brings about the end of something. And then there's a change. 1 Corinthians 15.25 For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Revelation 2.25 Only hold fast what you have until I come. So until often signals something that will happen until something else, which will then bring about a change in the circumstances. Brings about a change in the circumstances. That's the best view. Another view is that there's a continuation of a circumstance until the end of time, period. Okay, so this would be the view 
of a guy named O. Palmer Robertson. Now, he's not the only person who holds uh, this, this, this view, but O. Palmer Robertson is a Reformed theologian with, on steroids, and he, uh, with all due respect, by the way, his work on the cessation of, of sign gifts is really good. <laughs> so I've learned from O. Palmer Robertson. Um, but uh, in, in this context, in, on this passage, he's horrid, okay, with all due respect to Dr. Robertson. O. Palmer Robertson does not believe that all Israel will be saved. Okay, so he's trying to argue away from um, all uh, that there will be a great outpouring of ethnic Israels turning to Jesus Christ at the end of time. We'll talk more about his views in a little bit. But he believes that there's a continuation of a circumstance until the end of time. And once, once the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and the partial hardening, the partial hardening's going on, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in until signals an eschatological end, period, Jesus comes back, everything's done. Okay, does that make sense? Hopefully it makes some sense. So he would say that this phrase speaks of eschatological termination. I'm not going to read the entire quote, um, but this is the key phrase. The phrase implies not a new beginning after a termination, which is what I just said, not a new beginning after a termination, but the continuation of a circumstance until the end of time. That's a direct quote from O. Palmer Robertson. So if we were to go along with O. Palmer Robertson's view, let's just say theoretically, let's, let's think about what that means. It would, he's saying that, that Romans 11.25 should be understood something like this. A partial, partial harsh, hardening, excuse me, has come upon Israel that will last until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, which is at the end of time. Which, by the way, also means that in this way, and we'll talk about how he takes in this way, all of Israel will be saved. He's going to, I'll, I'll just give you a hint. He's going to say, well, that means that this is the manner in which all of Israel will be saved. So if you're tracking with him, all of Israel there's a partial hardening on Israel and all of Israel is being saved at the same time. Do you get how that, that just, that's, yeah, that, there's a hardening on Israel and all Israel is being saved by this hardening. Yes, Scott. Yeah, he's going to do a little bit of verbal gymnastics too. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, but this interpretation means that verse 26 be taken not as the next development. Verse 26, all, and in this way all of Israel will be saved. That's not the next development in the future ordained by God, but as what is happening parallel to the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. So you've got three things that are all happening at once. And if it sounds a little, with all due respect, this is a theologically precise Diagnosis, cuckoo for cocoa puffs. If it sounds that way, it's only because it is. This interpretation must equate the partial hardening on Israel and the salvation of all Israel. That's, if that, that is theological gymnastics, to say the least, where you have two radically opposed ideas being treated as complementary. Actually, this is the same thing. <laughs> 
No, it's not. If the hardening of Israel is actually a good thing, (laughs) and the same as the salvation of all Israel, why did Paul begin this defense of God's faithfulness in in his dealings with Israel at all? All the way back in chapter 9. So to reiterate, until means... Until means the present state will happen until a marked event and then bring a change of circumstances. And this is the better approach. That it's the, it becomes the culmination and the resolution of Paul's apologetic. He has defended the way God is dealing presently with his people. He has defended it from, this, from the character of God and the actual ways that God historically handled the hardening. Now he resolves the question of the future with respect to God's promises to them and gives a termination of the present tragic state of the Jewish hardening. He's saying it's going to come to an end. God's promises to them are true and binding. All of Israel will be saved. By the way, when I say all of God's promises are binding, you can think back to the first verse, first two verses of this chapter. You can look forward to verse 29 of this chapter. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So, as um, if you remember verse 12 of this chapter, we're going to move on now from until... You look up at verse 12. You, you'll look, look, let me read it to you. Now, if there, that is the Jewish people's trespass, means riches for the world, that sounds very familiar, like there's this partial hardening and it's riches in the fullness. If their trespass means the riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Do you remember? Do you remember what full inclusion, what's the word for that there? I kind of emphasize it, but I don't blame you if you don't remember. It's fulfillment. It's fullness. So that word, full inclusion, that word behind the translation in your ESV, full inclusion, okay, is the same word for fulfillment or fullness here in verse 25, So, the point I'm trying to make here is that the fullness of the Gentiles, in a similar way that there will be a fullness of Israel coming in, there's a fullness of the Gentiles coming in now. There's a fullness of Israel being saved in the future. Right now there's a fullness, a full number of Gentiles who are being saved. God is... If, if, you're, if you're listening to me, let me try to boil this down very simply. Right now, God has people that he has chosen for his name among all the nations. And it's a great amount of Gentiles. And God has chosen them and he is bringing them to his son right now. He's doing it in churches like ours all over the world. Through Christians like us all over the world. And he's bringing in the fullness of the Gentiles. And there's a number where that's going to come to an end. So the situation, so he says the fullness comes in. So what I mean by come in, or what I think Paul means by the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, is that they will 
come into a state of salvation. They will come into, uh, into Christ, into God's family, and be saved. He doesn't mean, by the way, when he says the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, he does not mean that all the Gentiles who've ever lived will be saved. Okay? Did you catch that? That's important later on. It's not that the fullness of every Gentile, the full, that every single Gentile, as you know, is, is going to be saved. The goal of what the Gentiles are entering into is implied, but it's, um, it's most certainly salvation, as I've said. And notice how Paul has, let's just review how Paul has talked about the salvation of the Gentiles in this chapter. Okay? Has Paul talked about the salvation of the Gentiles in this chapter? Already he has. Verse 11, look at verse 11, where he says, um, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. They're grafted in. Verse 22, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. And now in verses 26 and 27, Gentiles are coming in. They're coming into the olive tree. They're coming into the salvation through the sovereign election of God and justifying grace of Christ, the deliverer. They're coming to Christ. And that's what's happening now. It's not happening like it ought to with the Jews. They should believe in their Christ, but God has hardened them. But it's, that's not the end of the story. The part, it's a partial hardening for now until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So the point at which the hardening ends, the hardening of Israel ends, is the completion of God's saving work among the nations in this dispensation. That's what, I, that's what I think Paul is emphasizing. And I wouldn't even go so far as to say that, that there will not be any Gentiles saved. I'm not trying to say that there won't be any Gentiles saved once the fullness has come in. There may be a Gentile who's saved after that period. For example, during the tribulation period, um, if that is the signal, at, at whatever point the salvation of all of Israel begins to happen, when this fullness comes in. Just, uh, just like there's a partial hardening of Israel now, I can imagine God still bringing in a Gentile, uh, Gentiles into Christ during the tribulation period. I don't think that would undermine what Paul's saying here. But he's saying that during the present time, during the church age, if you will, there is a fullness of the Gentiles coming in. And that once that time is over, then the partial hardening is over. That's the way I would take this. So I'm not going to hold that fullness language absolutely strictly any more than I'm going to take the hardening language absolutely strictly. Okay? Now, this is something, by the way, this fullness of the Gentiles is something that the Old Testament prophets, um, the Old Testament prophets uh, spoke about. Yeah, in Genesis 49.10, Jacob prophesied concerning the future ruler in Judah. This is in Genesis 49, that to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, I know that's, that, could, that could be taken a number of different ways, but it's, it's a hint 
that there are going to be Gentile people submitting to the one who comes from the line of Judah who will hold the scepter, but who will hold the scepter and, be, and, and reign over Israel. But it gets even more clear as time goes on. In Joel 32.32, says that whoever, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone or everyone is actually what he says. I don't know why I don't have that there. But the next one is Ze- Ze- Zechariah. I'm sorry, Zephaniah. I have the wrong reference here. Zephaniah. That's he should be AP. 3.9 says the peoples will call upon the name of the Lord and serve him in one accord. And if you remember the, the sermons from Micah, there are prophecies in Micah chapter 2, or is it 5? I think it's 2. 5 is the one that has the Bethlehem. I think it's 2, right? Is it chapter 2 that talks about the Gentiles? I know it's Isaiah 2, for sure, as well. Isaiah chapter 2, 2 says, All the nations will flow to the house of the Lord. And what I and the way that I lean toward thinking about this is yes, there will, I, there will likely be Gentiles who are coming to the Christ and believing in the Christ during the millennial kingdom, who are born of people who have entered that millennial kingdom, just like there are natural-born Jews who are who, who are populating the kingdom and and um, and being born during the kingdom and believing in Christ. Yes, that that is certainly true. But I also. I also tend to think that one of the ways some of these Old Testament prophecies concerning the Gentiles are fulfilled is actually through us. Because it doesn't always say that it's a, it's a natural, it's a conversion, but it's certainly Gentiles worshiping Christ. And so I think there's a way in which we're fulfilling this in the age to come. I could be wrong about that, and if I'm wrong, the Lord will correct me. Isaiah 52.10 says, All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth. So in the Old Testament, what I'm trying to tell you is in the Old Testament, we, we got hints that this sort of thing was going to take place, that Gentiles were going to come in. And Paul is saying, the one of the ways, I, the way I'm taking Paul is he's saying one of the ways this happens is during the church age as Gentiles are believing in Jesus Christ. Now, we also get, oh, there's Jeremiah 16, 21 as well. There's Simeon's prophecy in Luke 2.32 that Jesus Christ would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So we get these hints in the Gospels as well through Jesus' words. Um... And I have here, so the new revelation, where's my, oh, I think my slides are out of order. But I'll just talk about this. So what's new about this? Remember, Paul says it's a mystery. So the Old Testament prophets said, said the Gentiles would come to Christ, would believe in Christ, would worship Christ, and would worship the true God, um, and, and enjoy the rule of the Christ, of the Messiah to come. The Old Testament said this would happen. What is new then? Because Paul calls this a mystery. Well, I think what's new about it, what the mystery is, is that the Gentile salvation occurs in connection with the hardening of Israel. That's what's new. When we read about the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, about the Gentiles coming in, we don't get the sense that it's happening because of a partial hardening with Israel. And also, the salvation of all Israel would have to wait until the fullness of of the Gentiles' conversion. And Jesus also taught about this new development. 
And here, I think I have the verses right up here. He gives us these little places, and there's a couple places in the gospel where we see that Jesus has a plan for the nations. He says in John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. The fold is the Jewish people. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. John 10, 16. So Jesus says, he doesn't call them Gentiles, but it's clear in the context. He's talking about the Jewish people, and then he shifts to sheep that are not in the fold, and they are going to believe as well. Jesus is telling us, in part, about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Second thing, second passage that pertains to this from the words of Jesus would be Luke 21:24. I didn't print notes for you tonight. I apologize. Hopefully, you don't miss that. Anyway, what does he say in Luke 21, 24? We just read this. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, until they're brought to completion. All right. So that's what um, this phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is what I think Paul's talking about. Now, let's go to all Israel will be saved in verse 26. And And Paul says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, I'm not planning on getting into the prophecy from Isaiah tonight, but I will point out to you that the prophecy is about Israel. A deliverer will come, and that should actually be to Zion. He will come to Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That has to do with Israel. But, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, the full number of the Gentiles confessing Christ, coming in, the full number of the Gentiles confessing Christ leads to the salvation of all Israel. And Paul offers that the, or explains that the partial hardening that leads to the great inclusion of the Gentiles results in a great future blessing. Which makes, that meshes so well with what he's been saying. If their, if their rejection of Christ, if their failure, if their rejection means, their trespass means salvation has come to the Gentiles, now if their trespass means riches for the world, what will their... And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So they're failing. They're failing. They are, they're trespassing. They are hardened. And yet Paul says, they are, there's still going to be a fullness, a full inclusion in verse 12. And in verse 12, that full inclusion, if you're tracking with me, That full inclusion in verse 12 comes after their failure and after the fullness of the Gentiles coming in in verse 12. Now, let's talk about this phrase, and in this way all Israel will be saved. So there is some debate um, about what and in this way means. It's just... um, in this way is just one verse, or one word in the original. 
and in this way as two words in the original. And there are some spirited discussions, but in the end, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter a lot to me, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. What does this mean? Um, here's our friend Robertson. O. Palmer Robertson would say, in this way, he, we don't agree with Robertson, just to remind you. In this way, it doesn't look forward, it looks into the past, looks back. So, the partial hardening is coming upon Israel. The fullness of the Gentiles are coming in. And in this way, looking back, all Israel will be saved. Now, he would say that it talks about the manner in which all of Israel will be saved. And I don't even have a problem with saying that the word is, should be taken in a manner method. But one of the things that you'll see among those who <clears throat> argue for this is uh, an insistence that this, um, this manner is... Um, has no respect to time. There's no respect whatsoever to time in this word. Now again, I'm even happy to say that. I don't care if there's a respect to time and in this in the phrase and it and in this way. It doesn't matter to me. The time aspect is there in the verse. It's in the future tense verb. <laughs> Will be saved. That's where the time comes in. But for Robertson in this verse, he's going to say, well, and in this way, all of Israel will be saved, is talking about the Israel of God. Now, that phrase appears in Galatians chapter 6. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Dr. White hasn't uh, preached on Galatians chapter 6 yet. But it's worth addressing this. Let's talk about this. Because this actually becomes a very important, um, a very important uh, verse in, um, in this uh, debate about what this passage is talking about. Um, and as for all who walk by this rule... Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, in this context, I, I thought about reading all from verse 11 down to verse 16. Paul is talking about, he's coming back to circumcision. Remember, in Galatia, there are Jews, Jewish, Jews who profess Christ, who are adding circumcision to the gospel. They're saying, if you want to be justified you also need to be circumcised. And Paul's, Paul's reiterating at the very end of this letter, no, no it's not. Now keep in mind that Galatians has, has very much to do with this, this um, the, uh, the conflict between these Judaizing Christians, these Christians who say, let's add these Jewish rites to Christ. You've got to also do these Jewish rites in order to be justified. And Gentile believers as well. And, and so, what in this phrase, what some interpreters, in this verse, this phrase, the Israel of God, 
Some interpreters take the Israel of God to refer to the church. They think this is talking about the church. And this is a favorite, this is a favorite verse for those who say that the church has replaced Israel. They like to go to Galatians 6, 16. Now, in, to my way of thinking, it's not at all clear that Paul is talking about the church, that he's using the Israel of God as the church here. Some people, you need to understand this, Some, someday you'll be glad that somebody talked to you about this. I know some of you kids may really be like, why does this matter? But you just, I'm going to try to, I, someday you'll be thankful somebody at least said that something to you. And hopefully some of this makes some sense. But there are people who will say that the church is the new Israel, and this verse proves it because Paul calls the church the Israel of God here. But I don't think he's doing that at all. I think he's talking about Jews who are of God, who have believed the gospel. They're part of the church, but he has a special concern for them. And it makes sense that he would have a special remark and concern for them, like he does in Romans 11, 9 through 11, by the way, how he talks about himself. But it makes sense that he would have a special concern for true believers in Jesus Christ, true Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, who are not adding circumcision to Jesus Christ, but trusting in the finished work work of Christ on the cross alone for salvation and in nothing else. And and these are the Israel of God, the, the Jews who have believed in Christ. And yes, they're part of the church. Absolutely, they're part of the church. But Paul has a special regard for them here and I think he's simply talking, he says, and as for all, he's talking about circumcision. Verse 14, but far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God, upon those Jews who get it. That's what he's talking about. The Jews who get it, who don't add circumcision to Christ. Because if you add circumcision to Christ, you cut yourself off from God. So I don't think that Galatians 6 is a good place to go. It's ambiguous at best, but it's not a good place to go to make the argument that the church is the new Israel. Because it's not clear at all that Paul is actually calling the church the new Israel in Galatians 6.16. But old Palmer Robertson would say that's the way Paul means Israel here. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. All the Israel of God, which is not, which is Israelites and Gentiles. You see. All right, so it looks into the past, he would say. So let me respond to this. I got a response. Several points to the phrase and to how it's being read here. And we'll um, and uh, we're, we're, made, we're doing well on time. So it, I first want to note that whether or not this phrase and in this way has a temporal effect has really little bearing on the interpretation of verse 26. I've already said this, but the temporal sense comes from the future verb. They will be saved more than in this way. That I think that it's introducing, and in this way is introducing a sequence that has nothing to do with whether or not the phrase 
and in this way is temporal. It has to do with timing because Paul is talking about things that are happening. It does have to do with timing, not because the phrase has to do with timing, but because Paul is talking about something that's happening in concrete steps. There are three things. There's a partial hardening hardening on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. And so that's where the timing aspect comes from. These steps that he's outlining. It's also worthy of note that end in this way is in the place of emphasis, expressing the only way that Israel's salvation happens. I think it does speak of manner. And so the mystery of God's working in this age is in a triad. I've already expressed the triad. The triad builds upon itself. It culminates in the third statement. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. And so the word and in this way, the words and in this way signal what follows the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. And then Paul connects that to the scripture prophecy that we're going to talk about on a subsequent week. The the scripture prophecy from Isaiah. And so he's tying the path, the, the salvation of Israel to Isaiah 59 as well. You can't take Isaiah 59 out of this and rip it out of the context. Now, the, the way that the scripture passage is tied to it is with the as it is written. Let me, let me now make the case for this as it is written from the scripture, from the Bible. We've seen Paul use the Bible again and again in this. But the fullness of Gentiles coming in is the end of the partial hardening And when Israel is no longer hardened, they are saved. And in this way signals the end then, the manner. So once the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that in that way, in in that manner, then what follows is all of Israel being saved. These are concrete steps. And the sequence is inferred from the way the manner brings about this new state that reverses Israel's hardening. Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Now let's think about this. Um, uh, I just talked about that. If uh, the people who say all Israel is actually the Israel college of the church, which includes Israel and Gentiles, if that's true, then this would be the first time that Israel would include Gentiles in the book of Romans. And if you think back, those of you who've been coming to this, and I'm thankful that you have, and I hope that this has been helpful. But if you think back to where I started, I started from the beginning of the book of Romans, and I looked at all the places where Paul talks about the Jewish people. And we found no times... Zero times. Uh, There's one ambiguous passage in chapter 2, but there are no times besides that. Every other instance is very clearly talking. When Paul says Israel or the Jews, he's talking about Israel and the Jews. Every single time. And to hold now that all Israel is actually Israel and the fullness of the Gentiles, which is what they're saying. To make that case would now is now saying this 
right here in this verse is the first time in the book of Romans that Paul is actually including Gentiles, ethnic Gentiles, with ethnic Jews and calling them such. The first time. And I can't stress this strong, too strongly. I'm trying to stress it strongly. I hope that you get it. To take Israel in Romans 11.26 as the Christian church is to take Israel in a sense totally different than the way Paul has spoken of his kinsmen throughout these chapters. Think about how Paul, in the beginning of chapter 11, it's 11, right? No. Chapter 10, chapter 9, chapter 9. Yeah, no. Where does he talk about himself? Is it chapter 11? Yeah, chapter 11, verse 1. Think about how he talks about himself here. He's very clearly connecting himself to his Jewish ethnicity. But now he just he doesn't mean it at all. It doesn't mean anything. All Israel is just this spiritual church. My ethnicity, being of the tribe of Benjamin, all that hoopla means squat. And that's nothing like chapter 9. They are the Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Okay. Um, I I would even go so far as to say this view misses the point of the explicit contrast between the Gentiles and Israel sustained through the book of Romans. All right, so next reason Next point of response. Robertson's interpretation undermines the theodicy of chapters 9 through 11. Okay, so what is theodicy? Theodicy is um, a problem. Um, Technically, I think the problem of evil in apologetics, but here it's a problem of how do I deal with, I'm talking about how Paul deals with God's faithfulness to himself, which is a problem. How do we deal with God and his promises when they're not being fulfilled? And so the whole question is undermined if all of a sudden Israel includes the church. If the Jewish people are condemned for their near universal rejection of Christ, God has failed to keep his promises to Israel. And Paul has been laboring to show God's justice in hardening the Israelites. And if you take the view that Robertson takes, you, um, you undermine that. Finally, um, What is probably most troubling about this about this replacement theology, the 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 idea that Israel replaces or supersede or that the church supersedes Israel, is that God does not keep his promises to Israel, but fulfills them in the church. In other words, for those Jews that Paul is writing to, who are concerned with their with their fellow Israelites' rejection of the Christ and God's promises to Israel in light of that rejection, the answer is that there's no future acceptance of Christ by the Jews, despite Paul's words. In verse 15, when Paul speaks of the natural branches, the Jews being grafted back into their own olive tree, he does not refer to a future glorious turning of the Jews to Christ. So with the interpretation of replacement theology, the idea that that the church replaces Israel, the, the whole point of Paul's argument in these chapters comes to nothing. Like it just all falls flat. Like he's not really concerned with saving Jews because they're being hardened. So that's how God fulfills his promises to the Jews. They're actually hardened. 
that's the whole art. That's what. That's the. These whole chapters are basically uh, being spent to make the case for nothing. All right. Now I'm almost. I'm almost finished. So he does say, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. And there are four views of how to take this. And I think, without speaking too quickly, I can tell you what these four views are and what the best way of taking them is. First view is that. All Israel refers to the whole body of saved Jews throughout history. So this would be like, um, you know, all the Jews who were saved in Old Testament times, all Jews who are saved in New Testament times, and those are all the Jews throughout history. That's one view. But the problem with this is that um, such a view would be self-evident. It's actually kind of absurd. Why would Paul spend all this time arguing for this if um, he's... Just saying, yeah, Jews are going to continue to be saved you know, throughout all history, and that's all of Israel. Why is he making a special point about it? Why is he saying, and in this way, all Israel will be saved if it's all the Jews who are saved throughout history? Okay. Second view is the whole church, which is Robertson's view. Not only did Robertson, does Robertson hold this, but John Calvin. Here's John Calvin's explanation. We do not take this view. Again, we're talking about four views of what all Israel is. This goes along with, um, with the kind of view that says Israel is the church. John Calvin says, I extend the word Israel to include all the people of God. He cites Galatians 6.16. In the same way in Galatians 6.16, Paul calls the church, which was composed equally of Jews and Gentiles, the Israel of God, setting the people thus collected from their dispensation in opposition to the carnal children of Abraham who had fallen away from the faith. O. Palmer Robertson, believing Gentiles come into Israel. Here's another one, N.T. Wright. Paul is clearly offering a deliberately polemical redefinition of Israel parallel to that in Galatians 6.16. In other words, again, you see how Galatians 6.16 keeps coming up in all of these? You see that? Do you, do you understand that? So Israel of God is the church. All Israel is the church in Romans 11. All right. So that's the second view. And... I've already addressed the second view. And I've already addressed Galatians 6.16, which is helpful because I'm, uh, I need to finish up. Uh, the, the third view of all Israel is the Jewish universalist view. This is the view that all Jews who have ever lived will be saved. And this is, of course, incompatible utterly with the teachings of Scripture. Um, Paul, just in... Verses 6 through 8 of Romans 9 made it very clear that not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. So you can't say that every single Jew who's ever lived is all Israel. Okay? Final view. There will be a great turning of ethnic Israelites to Christ near or after the close of the present age, after the Gentiles come in. And by the way, this view is not limited to dispensationalists. Numerous scholars and even some committed amillennialists espouse this view. Um, and I'm just going to keep moving here. And I'm almost done. So in what sense then all Israel? In what sense all Israel? Well, some people would say, well, all Jews living at that time. So once this fullness of the Gentiles comes in, you know what? I'm going to save this one because I don't have time to address it adequately. But the, So the question is, all Israel, you've seen what I'm saying, what I'm arguing for. 
The great turning, this is, this is the right view. It's what I've been trying to argue all the way along. With, and I can, I can circle it with my bright green laser pointer. Does this blind all of you like it blinds me? Anyway, the, there'll be a great turning of ethnic Israelites to Christ near or after the close of the present age, after the Gentiles comes in. So the question is this, and this is, this, I'm going to set, set it up for a little bit of a cliffhanger. So the question is this, does that mean every single Jew alive when Christ, uh, when, when this great turning happens? Or can we approach it more generally, is that legitimate from Scripture? Is there Scripture basis for that? All right, so we're going to solve that problem, Lord willing, next time we meet in a couple weeks. But let me, let me close with this, okay? Close with this point. God is telling us what's going to happen in the future. Paul has already made the case that he wants us to know this. And tonight I've been trying to interact with uh, some of the people that would oppose the teaching of our church and, the, and our understanding of Scripture and show why their reasoning is flawed and why I think our, our position is the right one and why we should continue to maintain it and, and preach it and teach it. Um, but what's really remarkable about this passage, if we can take a step back and simply get gaze at it in the right way, is how, how God knows what's going to happen. He knows the future. He not only knew, knows the future of the events that are going to happen in time and in history, but God knows the future about concerning the people who are going to come to him. He knows about hardening. He knows about the fullness, the, the number of the Gentiles that are going to come in, and he knows about his people turning to him. And he is going to accomplish that. The only way he knows about that is because he is going to accomplish it. Because he is sovereign over salvation. That's how he can tell us what's going to happen. And these people, that these Jews, when all Israel are saved, after the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Well, let me put it this way. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, every Gentile who believes in Christ, believes in him willingly, with their heart and soul, believing on Jesus Christ, God works in them such that they, of their, of their heart and mind, fully embrace Jesus Christ. And we can truly say they believed in Jesus Christ. And yet God is sovereign over the number of the fullness of the Gentiles. And in a similar way, when God saves all of Israel, he will do so sovereignly working in the heart of every single one of those Jewish people who finally recognize and turn to Jesus Christ as their Savior and believe in his name. For salvation. And that's because our God is almighty and powerful and sovereign over not only all of human history, but over salvation as well. All right. Are there any questions before I dismiss? Any questions? All right. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful for your word, and we pray that you would uh, strengthen our commitment to you and our knowledge of what you are doing in history. I pray that it would be very clear what your word teaches in this passage to your people. And Father, I ask that you would bless this teaching that went on tonight and that you would use it 
um, in the hearts of every person that's here tonight. That we would not only think about what this means and what this teaches, so that we understand the mystery, we understand what you're doing in history right now, we understand that you will keep your promises to the Jewish people, and of the, but, but that also that we stand in wonder and awe at who you are as a God who is sovereign and mighty and gracious and that you save sinners, Father. Every one of us deserves to be left to ourselves, to be hardened, to harden ourselves, to be hardened against you, and yet you have taken us and you've turned our hearts back to you and to yourself and to your son, and you have saved us graciously. You've, turned, you've opened up our eyes. You've given us, you've shed the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hearts, and we praise you for this, Father. We do not take it for granted. I pray that there would be much good that comes from our time together in this study. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.